Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where lifting each other up is our default setting. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I hope you to be SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. Hey, champions, I expected to be coming to you live from Israel this week and for the next three weeks, uh, but the, the plans changed. You know, the last week has been crazy, unbelievable attacks, tragic loss of life, and unthinkable brutality. Pray for those in the region, pray for the hostages to be returned safely, and find ways to support people who have lost family members, homes, businesses. I have friends and colleagues in country and in the region. Over the last week, comparisons have been made to 9-11 or Pearl Harbor here in the States, and I think that's very much on point. I was at Pearl Harbor earlier this year. But multiply the loss of life by 30 just to help wrap your mind around the scale. The population differences, a thousand there. Imagine like 30,000 here. And then uh, the history of the Holocaust and other things on top of that. Most of you know, all book profits go to charity. One of our core values is using business to give back. And for the rest of October and November, at least, they will go to humanitarian relief in Israel specifically. Uh, the Israel Emergency Fund, uh, UJA Federation. Their website is ujafedny.org. Started in 1939, 99% of every dollar goes to help people, extremely capital efficient, which I really like. So consider doing the same and supporting the Israel Emergency Fund. There's a link in the comments and show notes, and, and I encourage you to give as well. Well, this was a trip that has been planned. Uh, it was originally 2020 and then again in 21, and now we're looking at 2025. Next year is all booked up. So we'll see. And, you know, honestly, I was really kind of bummed about not going again for a lot of reasons. I've been trying to do this for a while. But I think how we deal with disappointment is important, especially as business leaders. So the disappointment doesn't lead to disillusionment. Have you ever done maze puzzles or, you know, maybe a maze in real life? did a thing where I was in a glass mirror maze as a time competition and, you know, dead set on winning and finding the goal, the prize, the elusive cheese. And, and then I saw it. I mean, it was right in front of me. It was so close. I could reach out and then smack right into a wall. You know, setbacks. It's, it's kind of like spices and food. I mean, they can either overwhelm your dish or make it unforgettable. Yeah, and I've experienced hitting those walls in my entrepreneurial journey as well. How about you? Now, most of you probably don't know an Israeli inventor named Dov Moran, but I promise you that his inventions have affected your life. I know. I mean, I'm just blown away at, uh, at some of the inventions. But most notably, he invented the USB flash drive. Anybody ever use one of those? It's like, how do we ever live without that? Founded a company called M Systems, massive success, and sold to SanDisk a few years later for 1.6 billion. And and that was when a billion dollars was actually worth something. You know, there weren't you know unicorns, you know, all the time. 
Uh, but it was a billion dollar revenue company sold 1.6 billion. Absolutely amazing. Uh, former employees started over 30 companies. It's incredible. I mean, not unlike PayPal. His next venture was a company called Modu. It was creating the world's smallest cell phone, which is absolutely brilliant. I mean, phones are getting smaller and smaller. We started out with giant bricks and it gets smaller and smaller. And he actually won a Guinness World Record for the lightest cell phone. Amazing, brilliant design. It launched at the same time as the iPhone, uh, which made phones big forever because they have screens now and other things on them. And then the credit crisis, 2008, investment dried up. Big losses, uh, fired 130 people, liquidated patents to Google for $5 million or so. Colossal flop. Big high, big low. Yet he considered this a positive turning point in his career. I mean, that is mind-blowing in itself. But he did. Positive turning point. said, it made me stop being afraid of failure. When you don't fail, you fear it. Once it hits big, you are released. He said, this freed me to go wild with ideas. Man, I want to think like that because failure is one of those things that is inevitable on our journey. We're going to have setbacks. So if I want to think like that, let's crack the code on converting those flops into jackpot wins. How about that? Well, first up, I think reframe the game. Turn setbacks into setups. Every time life hands you lemons, consider it a chance to perfect your lemonade recipe. You know, we all go through tough times. We all go through setbacks. We all go through challenges. We all go through problems. They're inevitable. It's just, it's part of the journey. The difference is the story that we tell ourselves. What does failure mean? Does it mean that I'm not worthy? I'm not good. I can't do this. Is it the end? Or is it a learning opportunity? Is it the beginning? Is it figuring out a way that doesn't work? Is it the beginning of a new climb up? Reframe the game. Second is armor up. Being resilient yeah, isn't a birthright. It's not something that you're just born into and like, ah, I'm resilient. It's something that takes time. I mean, it's armor that is forged through trials. You know, forging requires heat and pounding. Have you ever watched metal being worked? That doesn't sound fun for that to be happening, to be the metal. But each failure adds another piece to your invincible suit. The way is through. So be resilient. Go through those trials. That is that is the way. And then add that armor. Armor up. And lastly is know when to fold. This is something I'm terrible at. But resilience isn't just dogged persistence. It's knowing when to pivot and, dare I say, sometimes even abandon a sinking ship. Surround yourself with wise counsel who can support you through that, can give you advice. I can tell you when to hold them, when to fold them. But I think that's an important, important thing and something I can learn is really, you know, know when to fold them, know when to make those pivots. You know, a pivot is not admitting failure. It's, you know, successfully sidestepping, you know, a front end collision. Yeah. So are you using roadblocks as stepping stones to greatness? Let's use setbacks to pave the way for monumental comebacks. If you could benefit from a community to help you turn those setbacks into comebacks, 
check out our sponsor today, Champion Leadership Group. It is the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop and scale, scale their companies, and never walk alone on the journey. Supercharge revenue by leveraging time-tested SaaS growth principles, toolkits, playbooks, and frameworks designed to help you scale ARR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries as we up-level ourselves, our teams, and have some fun along the way. Confidently take that right next step that turns into a quantum leap of profitable growth, premium valuation, and freedom. You can learn more at championleadership.com. Our expert guest last week was Leon Barnard, who leads the design education team at Balsamic. He is the author of Wireframing for Everyone. We talked about modern UX design, wireframing for everyone. I mean, even me. My big takeaway was how my team can use it to successfully transfer ideas from my head to development, to product teams, to marketing, and other leaders lightning fast. Instead of trying to explain it, we just look at it. And it's very, very easy to do. So, you know, get functional teams and tech teams on the same page. That is absolutely beautiful when that happens. And our founder a week ago was Stacy Chan. And what a joy talking to Stacy. She is an award-winning reporter media expert turned SaaS founder. She co-founded a generative AI company called One Billion Stories, and they launched a flagship product called Videofy.ai, which helps brands and publishers scale video and social media creation. You should check out both of those episodes if you missed either one of those. Great, great stuff there. My guest today is Thomas Knoll. I couldn't have planned this better, talking about resilience and some of the things and feelings over the last week. Thomas, after working at a bunch of startups, he built five of his own with two exits, a few failures, and thousands of lessons learned. Now he unburdens founders and leaders through YourSecondCall.com where he helps founders win the mental game while navigating the challenges of creating something from nothing and convincing others to get on the bandwagon. Welcome, Thomas Knoll. Hey, Thomas. Welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Well, you told me before about being a community architect at Zappos. Yeah, tell me about that and, and kind of you know, what that journey was like. Yeah, it's a, it might be a funny phrase for some people. You know, I think a lot of people have heard about community managers, community sure. building, community management. I love the phrase community architect. Um, so I'd been working on building online communities since like 1996 when it was like front page in GeoCities and stuff like that. <laughs> so have been I there a while. Those. Yeah, way way back then. <laughs> it's been a um, while, yeah. A few a few a few whiles. It was like Netscape browser, <laughs> you know, all all that good stuff. Yeah. Um yeah. AOL for internet. And, and so I like that whole time a lot of those uh, kind of metaphors or patterns of like gardening and like it's about pulling out weeds and planting seeds or you know like um this uh management, right? Like you're going to manage a community, like you're going to control them and make sure that they do the right things. And like, none of those ever felt right. Sure. And then I ran, you know, I was, I was having these conversations with people who work in architecture um, and I didn't really know anything about it, you know? And, and like, my question is like, Oh, what, you know, what's it like to like make buildings and the really great architects 
had this entirely different perspective. It wasn't, I make buildings. It was, I use buildings to create space. Hmm. And so they didn't see it as the building they were making as the thing they were making. The building was just the material for how do we design spaces for people and the decisions they make around, you know, hard surfaces and very large space or small nooks and crannies, how the light goes in, um, where the walls are. It was all about how you want the people to feel and interact within those spaces. Hmm. And so that's what drove the decisions. And you can see it if you think about decisions that are made in a stadium or decisions made in a library or decisions made in a school or, you know, they, they're all about what are the people supposed to do when they're there. And that's whenever it just hit me that the, for someone who wants to help create community between the customers or users, um, end users, buyers, you know, whatever it is for a brand, for a business, if you want to build communities, the most powerful tools you can use aren't moderation or like getting people to say more stuff or like planting seeds or, you know, it it wasn't that it's actually what type of space can we create for people that is naturally and inherently going to help them um, interact and share uh, in the way that um, the space enables. Um, and then just a little piece of beyond that is just, okay, now like how do you remove bad actors and like how do you help make sure people feel safe? Um, but that was really what drove it. So that was a lot of the work at uh, all the companies leading up. You know, Zappos was kind of like the peak of my um, career on the, you know, community building uh, path. Um, a lot of the work that we did there, you know, some of it was on the e-commerce side and in different type of customer mindsets or groups, right? Like you have, yeah. like you're selling it's a whole bunch of shoes and other stuff, but kind of most famous for the shoes. And even in there, like there's no such thing as a shoe community. You know, you have the, yeah. a lot of different lifestyles, you know, whether it's the running and marathons and all that type of recreational running, you know, whether it's the surf, skate, snow, ride shop kind of things, whether it's the, you know, tennis, golf, those types of sports, whether it's couture, whether it's outdoor, you know, so like hiking or rock climbing or, you know, kind of technical, technical things. Like it's, it's really about a bunch of different lifestyles within that. That was really the consumer side of things. Um, But then there's also the internal community. So kind of company culture, employees, like what does it look like for employees to feel a sense of community within the place where they work? And we also had a thing called Zappos Insights, which was like a lot of um, like the, like compared to like Disney University, you know, you have all of these other companies that were coming to Zappos and asking like, hey, how do you build culture? How do you do customer service? We'd like to learn that. Um, And so also talking about ways to help all of those companies who were coming to learn from Zappos, how do they actually interact more and share between each other more of the things that they're learning along the way. 
so it was a whole lot of different things. And so it was a lot of fun um, because um, I spent most of my time helping all of these different groups kind of learn those tools of community architecture and how to be mindful about the space that we're creating um, for the customers or users of those products or services. They all took it to heart and learned it and took over real fast. And I was, uh, my, my job was done. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great picture. It's really creating the space. A lot of mm-hmm. times we think about communities, especially online, the, the questions are, oh, how do I get more engagement? How do I make people do the thing that I want them to do? Yeah. And it's looking at it from the wrong perspective. And I think you just turn that around. Yeah. And so how can we do that online? How do we make the community where people want to be involved? They want to participate. They, you know, have that, that freedom to do that. Yeah. It's what I found was it's a lot of counterintuitive things. Um, I love that. A, a lot of, a lot of the first impulses, right? Like I want a thing to happen. How can I make that thing happen? Right. You know, and, and often that leads to, like, like I had this talk that I gave at South by Southwest, uh, I don't know, it's probably been 10 years now. Um, but it was like how to, how to ruin your community by being friendly and helpful. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Which sounds very counterintuitive. Um, yeah. But the first instinct for a lot of, especially founders, you know, less so at larger companies where they have professionals in this space, but especially for the, for the founders that are leading that at first, uh, they really want to make everything work. And so, Oh, let's get a community and let's get, gather everyone here. And they do what I call the, like the over eager greeter, you know, like imagine the little bitty lap dog that like runs up to everyone and crawls up on them and starts licking them in the face, you know, and the owner's just like, Oh, isn't it cute? And everyone's like, no, this is really <laughs> no, annoying. No, <laughs> I don't like this at all. Get your dog off of me right now. But that's what they do. Someone walks through the door and they just run up. Hi, how's it going? I'm so glad you're here. Will you come join this? There's a thing we do on Tuesdays. Will you join the AMA? Will you write something? Will you write an introduction to yourself three seconds after you get in the door and tell everyone right. who you are, even though you don't know who any of them are yet? Please come. <laughs> welcome. Glad. Be here. Do more stuff. Say more things. Right? And like you're trying to be welcoming, but it destroys community because mm, at best, even if that works, at best, everyone else goes, oh, that's the person who's supposed to greet everyone. And they right. don't it's learn not, it's not authentic. we're a community. The community is going to greet people, right? So the solve for that is to still be just as excited and energetic, but instead I run over to someone else and I go, hey, I saw so-and-so just showed up. They're also from New York. Maybe you want to, you know, kind of say hi and, you know, let them know some of the things that are going on around here. Someone else comes to the door. Instinct is go greet them. Instead, pull back, go find someone else in the community. Hey, do you see that so-and-so just showed up? Why don't you say hi? That'd be really cool. And a couple cycle of that and everyone starts to learn, oh, I can go greet people. The people who are being greeted go, oh, I could do this too whenever someone's, because no one ever learned that like, that's the person that does the greeting. And the other one is similar, but it's, you know, trying to be helpful. And so if the first thing I do is try to solve everyone's problems, every time they say something, every time they complain, every time they have a question, if I go jump in and try to solve all their problems, 
the whole community is, you know, what's supposed to be a community is just this crowd that's learning like, oh, there are certain people from the company who are here to it's like be concierge or something, you know, it's just like, (laughs) like they're going to answer everything, do everything, lead everything, be in charge of everything. And we're here just to consume this and we're just calling it a community, but it's just a, another marketing channel where people could maybe talk to each other. (laughs) Kills the interaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard thing to, to learn, but as soon as you get it, everything gets simple and it's also inherently scalable because you don't have to be the one doing everything. If you're just spending your time demonstrating the behavior that is helpful, um, then everyone can pick up those, um, kind of those roles and behaviors and, and teach it to everyone else who shows up. So it'll, it'll actually scale better. Oh, that's good. It's mostly mm-hmm. getting uh, the interaction, getting other people in, involved, and, mm-hmm. and really kind of teaching them, you know, how things work instead of just doing it or trying to force it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's scary because you realize quickly that you aren't in control. That makes sense. Like yes, uh, yes, it does. letting go, like letting other people do things, letting other people share their stories, letting anyone start an AMA, letting anyone share their information or ideas or questions, you know, it's like, Oh, but now we're not in control of it. It's like, well, if you want community, then you have to realize you're, you're not in control. And so the sooner you start letting go of the control, um, the better things will go. So what do you think about building communities on other platforms? Uh, You know, whether that be like a Facebook or a LinkedIn versus something external, like a a circle or a tribe or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, what I really think about it is similar to how you can't control a true community, right? Like if it is becoming a true community, then you have to have lost control of it because it has to be owned by the community itself. Um, similarly, this idea of owning a community, you know, I think is flawed. And so the main reason for that drives a lot of those platform choices or whether we are or aren't going to go engage in other communities that are gathering in other places or like, Oh, we're shutting down everything on Facebook because they control it. And we don't like, if you buy your own space and put people there, like you still don't control (laughs) any of it. You may control the data and that's what you were worried about. Um, But that's not the community piece. And so the underlying question is if I want to host and sponsor and facilitate community, that means that um, I will want to go wherever people are. And I will want to be sharing and inviting wherever they are. Now, I may have a space that I do a lot of hosting and creating space for that community to also gather, right? But I'm never going to lock them in to only my space. Like, they're going to be, I want them to be out and about and around all the other places. Um, 
connecting with people who aren't here yet, right? The only reason to try to sponsor community as a business is to get more customers. Um, sure. So I don't want a little um, echo chamber <laughs> right, <laughs> where right. like we lock in all of our customers only talking to our other customers and like discourage them from being anywhere else, everywhere else um, that uh, similar, similar people might be gathering. We'd want to encourage that. And uh, so go anywhere. The tools don't really matter. It's whether you're creating a sense of belonging and shared purpose, shared goals, shared stories. And you can do that absolutely anywhere. Yeah, that's good. And that makes sense because when you started, I mean, way back then, there were no tools. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of the stuff didn't even exist. And so either having to to create that or find a place, uh, you know, to to do that. So it's not about the tools, but it's about, uh, you know, I like that, that it's it's really creating a place that people want to go. Shared values, shared stories, shared experiences. Yeah. And that's what, you know, people will always find a way (laughs) to belong. Yeah. You know, so the tools really don't matter. No matter what changes or develops or new things come out, you know, it's just, um, it's the human piece of it that really matters. Like they're going to find a way to, I want to find other people like me who care about the stuff that I care about. Um, they're going to seek it out and find it um, wherever. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, you spent a fair amount of time working at startups and so did mm-hmm. that. I mean, some, some big companies and some, some that were startups that did, grew pretty big. Mm-hmm. And then left that world and started doing startups of your own. Did five of yeah. those, a couple of exits. <laughs> uh, tell me about that journey. Yeah, it was, you know, so it's while I was at Zappos that other, you know, startup founders um, started reaching out asking for, you know, advice or tips or, you know, suggestions. And, uh, and that was a lot of fun. So was just happy that people wanted to ask me questions I could feel useful and like important, you know, so that felt great. Uh, and started doing a lot of that. And when I left Zappos, there were, basically there were just tools that I wanted, um, for community building, you know, at, at that time there was social media products all over the place. Um, and a lot of marketing tools, a lot of like, how do we, Send a lot of, you know, like one to many, mostly like how, how do we blast our message to more people a little bit like more around like, how, and can we like interact with them? Um, but it still wasn't easy to help them connect with each other. And so that's how I ended up building some of the first companies was just like, there's a thing that needs to exist and I can't find it. I guess you make it then. Um, now I go like, how foolish was it to go like, you just start a company if you want to make something. <laughs> didn't even, didn't, didn't, uh, I didn't know what I was saying. <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I want oh, this, just, so everybody else start wants a company. to. Yeah, let's just do that. That happens <laughs> so a lot, though. A lot of oh, companies yeah. start that way. Everybody <laughs> yeah. wants what I want. Obviously. At yeah. least those, like, at least they even want the the thing that they're building, you know, it's like, it's even scary. The ones that like, I don't, I'm not a whatever, but I just started a company in this space because right. I thought there would be money in it. Um, yeah. The worst reason to ever start a company is, yeah, I, I wanted to make money. Yeah. That, that's, I have a, yeah. I have a, <laughs> I have a, 
I have this exit that I want, and, uh, so I'm going right, to start. Right. It should be easy, yeah. right? What's the fastest way to do that? Yeah, I'm going to exit. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do this thing. I want one of those IPO industry. things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, if you read enough TechCrunch, that's the way you're, that's what happens is you just yeah, build a company, yeah. unicorn, there you go, exit. The yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not really <laughs> like that, though. <laughs> not often. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think ever. I mean, even yeah. as, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff missing in the middle in those kinds yeah. of stories. Yeah, Overnight exactly. success after 25 years of pushing a rock uphill. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and it rolling over. Right. <laughs> over me 20 times. <laughs> so you know, on your journey, yeah. you know, multiple companies, um, how did you come up with the ideas? Were they all things that, that you know, you wanted in, in your business or, you know, something more strategic or how did you come up with the ideas? Yeah, I mean, I still have a list of like 500 ideas. Um, you know, there's a there's a couple of fun websites out there. Like one of the ones that we tried to start was basically like the oh, share your idea to get other people to do it. And um, you know, there's a ton of those. Kernel is a fun one right now. Um, but uh, you know, the ideas are are everywhere. The yeah. only ones that were worth doing. To me, were the ones that like well, at least I could have this if we if we built it, even if it goes nowhere. Like at least I would still have it for myself. So those are the ones that we started to build. The reality is being able to find other people who cared as much about that thing to go try to build it. That was the real kind of threshold for whether this could ever work. It, it doesn't matter if I have an idea, if it's a great one, you know, however you want to judge that. <laughs> but like <laughs> if no one else cares, if no one else wants to get on board, like, you know, the, the story I've heard is like, you know, for founders, it's like your job is to like get a bus, put gas in the bus and get people on the bus. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, so that's a big piece is like you have to, other people have to want to want to get on the bus. And so some of it was joining other people who had ideas um, and, uh, you know, jumping on their bus and getting going uh, very early on as a co-founder. Um, sometimes it was getting something far enough along that other people wanted to, wanted to get on the bus. So in building companies, getting people on the bus... You know, what are some things that uh, lessons you learned along the way? How long do we have? <laughs> do you want the you want the hard ones or the easy ones? Yeah, top five. Let's um, go hard ones. Yeah, yeah. just just, hard just are always good. Yeah, I mean the what I learned the hard way after a long time, and what led me to like all the work that I do now is. Um, no matter what the vertical, no matter what the business model, no matter what the industry, no matter how many sides there are to the marketplace, no matter like beyond any of that is people who are full of complexity. Yeah. <laughs> have to figure out how to trust each other how to share vision and energy, how to overcome 
struggles, complications, roadblocks. And that's the, that's the hardest part. Yeah. Um, it gets framed in things like business modeling, go to market and what are our core values and what is our hiring strategy and management? How are we going to lead the team and how are we going to reach customers and how are we going to communicate with them? And do we, listen to them at all or are we going to tell them what they need because they don't know what they need like all you know there's a lot of ways we frame all of these things but in underneath all of it it's still just people trying to find a way to trust each other and communicate in a way that lets us make as much progress as possible in an environment that is a gauntlet <laughs> of like everything that could go wrong will go wrong. And uh, so it's like one of the hardest arenas to try to do the work. That's just hard anyway, because we're human. It is. Uh, one of my favorite books is uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Patrick Lencioni. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, and I've, I've felt that. I've probably read it 20 times and because <laughs> you know, I need reminding uh, on a regular basis. But it's, it's, and it's 40 pages, <laughs> so like you can read it <laughs> that many times. <laughs> and working with a team is difficult. And because you've got all these different personalities mm -hmm. and we've got different backgrounds, we have different yeah. ways that we see the world. And, uh, and, you know, especially leadership teams, we all think that we're right. I mean, nobody ever says, here's my opinion, but I'm probably wrong. You know, yeah. But it's, it's, you know, how do we, how do we figure out, you know, how do we come together and, and do that and agree, you know, this is the way that we're going to do things and, and keep mm -hmm. those, those things together I mean, different, different mindsets. Because uh, people are complex. Like you're saying, there's, there's a lot of layers. How do you get through those layers and really get to, to what's important and get, you know, become cohesive as a team. Yeah, it's, um, I certainly don't know all the answers yet. Oh, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no one, I don't think anyone has, has really figured it out. Um, but I, what, what I found is the most useful shortcut is if we can all opt in to just the belief that this is going to be hard. Mm. We are going to struggle. There are going to be times where I misunderstand you or you misunderstand me. And we're going to choose to make it important to pause and try to have that conversation to be willing to extend to each other the kind of grace to get it wrong. Mm, yeah. Right. And say like, I know I'm going to get some stuff wrong. I know I'm going to misunderstand some things from you. I know you're going to do some things that upset me. Um, and we're just going to choose to talk about those instead of push them down, bury them, hide them, ignore them. 
or on the other end, you know, just go like, none of that stuff matters. We just need rational frameworks and decision making. And that's a weakness and there's no room for weakness here. So if you can't just suck it up and get it done, then you don't deserve to be here. Right. Like those are kind of the two extremes of like how to avoid the, the time required to invest in like, no, let's figure this out. Yeah. Let's, um, let's clarify that. Yeah. One of my uh, coaches, mentors, a guy named Michael Port, uh, absolutely brilliant, says that uh, business problems are most often personal problems in disguise. So how have you seen mm-hmm. that play out in, uh, in working with uh, founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders over time? Yeah, it's the, it's the majority of the work that I'm doing right now is finding what is hiding a layer or two down from whatever is going on. And what's neat is not always, but most of the time, whenever we get down to that layer and heal that thing that is causing this issue up here on the surface, um, it doesn't just change that one issue yeah. that led to it, it starts to have impact on not only that same type of issue going forward, but other things that you wouldn't even realize were related um, because of those core issues, the human stuff that's in, in hiding. Um, it has a lot of other impacts. And just like as, as an example, right? Like, one of um, like a founder, the the presenting issue, you know, this business layer <laughs> thing is the um, I've been when I get these types of emails, like this, all these same type of of email, um, I get uh, like. <laughs> like really defensive and angry, you know, about it. And then, so I can't just like reply back and hit send. I end up having to like sit on it for a day. And then when I do write the reply, like I have to spend like 10 minutes, like rereading it and rewording it and making sure that I don't like come across as an or to like come across as super defensive because I don't want to do that. But that's what's just coming up whenever I get it. And so we go looking at that and start to try to find like, okay, like when you are feeling that defensiveness and that, that anger starting to boil up, like, where is that coming from? Mm. You know, where, where do you notice that? It's like, okay, I notice it over here. It's like this real tightness in my shoulder. I start to like do this thing, you know, it's like, okay, like, so we'll focus on that, go into it. See, see what's there. I, you know, they get in there and like, oh, it's not, it's not actually like anger. It's like I'm, um, it's like I'm afraid. Like I feel yeah. like they're going to see, like, because I haven't 
like I feel like I I can't go to the next step. Like I'm being held back right now, and I'm afraid they're gonna see that whenever I respond. Okay, like what are what do you mean you can't go to the next step? I just like, you know, feel like I'm being like held back or like pushed down. That's why it's like, it's like this mm. thing that's like holding me back or pushing down. Like, okay, well, like, why, why are you, why are you feeling held back? And go another layer down. And we get this story of when they were 17, they left their house like the minute they could. And when they did, they left their little sister behind. And I knew what that meant for her when I left her there to get out. And I've never forgiven myself Hmm. for leaving her there. But I I couldn't take her with me. I couldn't stay there any longer. I had to get out and I just haven't forgiven myself. And like, Mm. I, and and so I just like hate myself for moving on. And then it was just like, Oh, so we stay there. We process kind of the forgiveness of, for herself of needing to do this, come back up, come back up, come back up. And it's like, it's okay for me to move on to the next phase of this thing. I don't have to feel held back. And now that I know it's okay for me to move on to the next phase of this company, I'm not afraid of this anymore. All of these emails now suddenly feel like the easiest thing to reply to. Mm. Not because we change like, Oh, here's how you should respond in emails to not feel defensive. (laughs) Right. Right. Like we found this thing of like, I've been holding myself back, hurting for this thing. And now that that's okay, I can move on. I can do the next stuff. All of these things now feel um, easier and more possible. Yeah. There's a, there are a lot of things that hold us back that way. We don't necessarily realize it, but it's, no. it, it, it presents as no. a business problem up here. And, and a lot of times it's, yeah. here's the tactic to seven ways to fix whatever. But there's something deeper and you get, uh, I like that. You, you talk about yeah. it in layers and you're really going deeper and deeper and deeper into it and really get down to the core yeah. issue. It's the fear, it's the anxiety, it's the, the rejection, the, uh, the anger, mm-hmm. you know, all those things that, yeah. that you haven't dealt with and then deal with it <laughs> like, oh, that was what it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's wild just how much easier all of a sudden things start to look. Yeah. It's the, it's the story, you know, I, the, like, like part of the process of like starting to do the work together, I kind of present it as this opportunity that like, you know, if we want to go faster, if we want to do more, if we want to get further, right. There's like, there's like two options, right. Um, if you want to make a car get from a to B faster, you, you really only have two options. You have to find a way to push it faster or you have to find a way to get rid of the drag, get rid of the friction, get rid of the resistance, right? Like if that car was in space, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, right? Like you just give it a, 
a human bump and it, and it could get there right, right. <laughs> real fast. Right. And so, um, a lot of solutions that leaders and founders go looking for, you know, they're looking for the miracle morning or the eight things billionaires do before breakfast or like, what can I add to myself? What can I bolt on? What can, what habits can I pick up? You know, what can help me go faster? And like, what can I do with my team to like push everyone to like go faster? And it's not that none of those things work. They do work or right. industry wouldn't exist. Sure. <laughs> um, but the opportunity that is most often overlooked is what would it look like to reduce the friction, reduce the drag, reduce the resistance? What if we go release some of these things, these beliefs, these thoughts, these feelings, these habits, these reactions, right? The ones that actually interfere with the decisions that interfere with conversations that interfere with doing the things I need to do because the fear, the anxiety, the what if those are holding me back. If we can release those, everything starts to go faster with zero additional effort. So now if you apply more effort on top of that, Sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah. Reducing the the drag, the friction, the resistance. It just makes everything yeah. go faster. All the things you're trying to do to to make it go faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exponentially better because you've yeah. removed those obstacles in the way. Yeah. And the powerful side effect for leaders when they're doing that kind of work is because they've experienced this like Okay, I viscerally realize, viscerally realize that underneath this problem, underneath this issue, there's probably something much deeper going on. Once they've experienced that, the likelihood that their reaction to someone that they've gotten onto the team, <laughs> you know, we brought on and I'm trying to lead you, I'm trying to guide you. I'm trying to inspire you to go do more, better work so that we can build this business and grow it, right? They're more likely to react to that person with just like, hey, I've noticed that you've been like really defensive about, you know, when we do this whatever review on the metrics Mm. for the, for the whatever thing. Um, And I don't want to make you feel like you have to be defensive, right? Like we're, we're trying to get the fun. So I'm just wondering like, is there something maybe going on, maybe a layer deeper <laughs> that like makes you feel like you need to defend the things that you're, that you're doing. And so it has this kind of pay it forward effect on teams yeah. where like founder leadership managers, individual contributors, like all start to realize like, Oh, this is a place where we can share like underlying concerns, things that feel like don't feel right. Like, Oh, whenever you did that, like I just noticed it made me like get kind of angry. I don't know why that was. Can we talk about that for a minute? You know, because if we do, then we come out of a short conversation going like, Oh yeah, I don't want you to you know feel angry. I 
when I said that, that's because I think about it this way. Yeah. Like, but I get why you hear that and it feels like this this other thing. Cool, no, 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 we're on the same page. Awesome. Let's let it rip. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of times as as people and, and particularly as men, we're not necessarily as in touch with those emotions. We're just I'm angry, but you know, I don't, I don't really have that conscious thought of yeah. I'm angry and here's why, or, you know, really kind yeah. of going beyond, well, it's, it's the why it's obvious. It's because he's asking me about the same thing again. Yeah. Why, it doesn't trust me. And you, know, you go through this whole thing, but <laughs> ah, well, hold on. There's yeah. something underneath that. And well, why is that? Yeah. Why, why do I feel that way? What is it? And, and you're just yeah. kind of digging through there. So, I mean, are there ways that you personally deal with that or any strategies or mindset shifts that have helped you bounce back from, from challenges or, or, you know, situations like that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like, like you just said, like a lot of times we don't even realize it or like, uh, a lot of times we don't even think I'm angry right now. Mm. Right. Like, besides like why I might be angry right. or where that might come from or whether there's something that I could release there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like most of the time we just are in that meeting and a thing happens and just, I don't even realize I'm angry. I just, it puts a filter on. Yeah. Right. And I just start to see things through the anger without even going like, man, I kind of feel angry about that. That's a really and good so, thought. I mean, that's, so that's the yeah, first one. It colors everything yeah. <laughs> from that point forward in, in what we're mm-hmm. seeing and how we react. And so if yeah. somebody else could say something. And it's like the, the old thing of the fish in the ocean, yeah. right? Like, you know, the fish doesn't know it's in water, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> doesn't think about it that way. And the, <laughs> um, there, was, there was a story about like, you know, the fish is going to be the last one to ever discover water. And then like the, I think it was like Einstein maybe that, that, you know, said that. And then like the footnote on it was, it's like, and like, and by the time that they do, they're going to be in a, in a lot of trouble to realize that there is such a thing as not water. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so like, the, like one of my favorite tools is, you know, you can find these anywhere on the internet. Um, there's a billion copies of it. I don't have a favorite one, but it's like a, it's like an emotions wheel. Yeah. Right. And it just, and it has like the very big ones, just like happy, sad. (laughs) I don't know, maybe one or two more. Um, And then you go out one layer and it's broken down into four, four pieces, which are like, Oh, well within angry, there's like frustrated, disappointed, you know, uh, upset. I don't know. (laughs) I should have one in front of me to give the examples. (laughs) Right. And then you go out one more ring and like, even just like upset is broken down into three. things. Yeah. So it just, it starts to give me a little more vocabulary to just start to even label like, what is it that I'm feeling right now? Yeah. You know, so that's the first helpful tool. Um, we'll make sure and link that and in the, the second one as well so that the people understand what that yeah, is. We'll, we'll find, we'll find a great yeah. one. <laughs> it, is, it is super helpful just being able to identify what that is and kind of break down. Mm-hmm. Use that in, uh, in, in marketing. How do we want people to feel? And yep. so, but really yeah. getting it down very, very specific. Um, you know, yeah. do we want them to be happy? Do we want them to be sad or, or even speaking? you know, taking them on an emotional journey. So, you know, we want, yeah. we want those peaks and valleys. So it's not all rah, rah, happy. 
you know, but we have those moments. <laughs> we don't want to, we don't want to leave them on a low note. So how do we, what do we want them to, to feel yeah. you know, all through that process? So yeah. So that's that great tool of even being able to label them yeah. and know, like, do I intentionally want to go, go anywhere? Um, the other one, I'll give you a link for this one too. But uh, I like this thing that uh, I call the internal stand-up. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming, you know, most of your folks are very familiar with what, uh, like, agile team stand-up yeah. is. You know, but it's just like, we get the team together. We all stand in a circle. We say, here's what I did yesterday. Here's what I'm going to do today. And here's my blockers. Yep. Right? And ideally, the blockers are, like, specific, like... <laughs> Hey, guess what? You're blocking me. I need that code, Jeff, before right. I can do my part. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so ideally they're specific into someone in the circle. Like I need you to do this before I can do the thing that I need to do to meet my commitments. Um, and the internal standup is very similar. Um, and it's like, now that I've started to recognize some of the types of feelings that come up, I still, you know, I'm just kind of with myself and I just think about what are my commitments for today? Like, oh, I need to send that newsletter later. Um, I need to follow up with uh, two of my clients with some notes on things that they asked me about. And instead of the external team and what are they going to do and, and what are our blockers, I start to just notice kind of the other parts of me that are showing up. Like when I think about, I got to get that newsletter out, you know, and I'm like, well, there's a part of me that feels like those are a waste of time because they aren't really working yet, but I know I'm supposed to be consistent. And it's like afraid that everything I'm saying is stupid anyway. And who even cares? Like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> There's a part of me that feels that way about all this stuff. And it's like, okay, what are the blockers on that? You know, just, it needs me to just go read that article again about why consistency is king. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just help me feel that a little bit more. And also like, just sit with that a second of like, do I really think that everyone thinks it's stupid? Or like, why am I afraid that like everyone would think it's stupid and just give myself kind of the gift of time. Like we were talking about earlier for the whole team, right? Like, well, I even give myself the gift of like hearing that part out and not immediately going like, well, that's wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> it's not that way. Right. Right. Like, well, can I hear myself though for a minute? I'm just like, I'm, I'm afraid no one cares. Mm. Like, oh, well, that sucks. That sucks to feel that yeah. way. I'm really sorry. Let's um, let's just talk about that for a second. And like, you know, what if no one cares? Is it still worth doing this? Well, yeah, because this is important to me. Okay. And like, can do you have any proof that no one cares? Because like people have been replying back and saying thank you and stuff. So like some people care. Yeah, you're right. It's just like, I'm afraid because a million people haven't signed up that that means that no one cares. Like, okay. Are we going to have a million yet? <laughs> no. Okay. I can go do this today. And so like that took, I don't know, two minutes. Right. At right. most. Right. But that two minutes that I gave myself at the beginning of the day, doing that internal, like, what are the feelings that are coming up? What do they mean? What do they need to, 
to like kind of chill out and like support the rest of the day instead of slowing everything down the rest of the day mm-hmm. um, can really help. And again, when I build that habit for myself, when I give myself that kind of space and grace to just be heard and to kind of process all of it, the amazing, wonderful side effect is that means I'm that much more likely to extend that to my team, my partners, my customers, you know, anything that comes up during the day, I'm way more likely to extend that same thing to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think the most underrated skill or quality that uh, founders or leaders have or, or should possess? And, you know, why is that essential? You know, what is it that's underrated that is essential? Mm. Give a shitness. <laughs> the, the quality of, of, can I say that? Give a shitness. <laughs> There's got to be a ge- really long German word for, for that. <laughs> Um, caring. It it is, and it and it's like, and, and I think why I like maybe I push it to a silly crass word yeah. is like, um, because what does it mean to care? Like, t- like to apply the action of caring. Right. You know what I mean? Like, um, cause my first reaction, like I wanted to say like listening, cause that's really my real answer is like actually listening. Um, but what I mean by actually listening is caring and what it means to care is to like actually bring it in, right? Like to, to allow what I'm hearing whether it's from my customers, whether it's from the market, whether it's from an employee, you know, like whatever it is, but someone else is trying to communicate something to me that's going to help me make a decision or have a conversation or go do the next thing or build a strategy, whatever it is. And, and I have to let it in, which means I have, and, and I have to let it in before I've decided whether they are right or wrong or whether it matters or whether we have time for that or whether it fits or whether I think it's smart or whether I think it's dumb or right. Like I can't do any of the judging before I let it in. Mm. Right. And so like, I, I remember there's one, like one of the best management tips I ever heard related to feedback was when people give me feedback, I don't get to ask the question, are they right or are they wrong? I have to ask, how might they be right? Right? So I go, Jeff, I don't think like you care about our benefits program. Right? And I'm not you, but if I were you, sure. one of my first reactions would be like, you're wrong. I care a lot about it. Right. Right. And then take their feedback and just throw it out because they're wrong. I do care about the benefits yeah. around here. So like, can't you see what we so do? I can We've just done all this I, stuff. And yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the place. That, yeah. Right. That's and I can place to go. toss it away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. If I change the question to like, like if I let it in, if I let what they're saying in first, right. And like, okay, 
you feel like I don't care about our benefits around here. How might that be correct? Yeah. How might that perception right. have been come across? Yeah. How, how have I mm-hmm. demonstrated that I don't, mm-hmm. how'd you come to that conclusion? Or yeah. like, how are you like, maybe I care a ton and like we have all of this stuff and it's like, how do you not know that this is a thing or that we care or like, or, or like, what do you mean by benefits? Ah. Right, because our healthcare is this, and our time off is this, and whatever. It's like, yeah, but we don't do any professional development. Ah, now we now we've just gone deeper. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. So, <laughs> so I think that's the real trick: is how do I let things all the way in to then start to take the next step of like, well, do I understand correctly? What do you mean? Whenever you say blah, 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 because maybe we have different definitions of the same thing, um, what would it look like for this to be demonstrated in a way that you experience? Do you have ideas of what it would look like to meet the expectations that you have? What can I learn about you? and your experience and what you care about based on kind of the way you present things every time, you know, what, what unspoken things, you know, can, can I learn by taking it in and actually taking note of that, you know, and just be like, wow, towards the end of the, or like <laughs> when, when all the kids are getting out of school um, all of a sudden, these types of concerns start showing up, <laughs> and no one's saying like, "Kids are gonna be out of school for three months," and now I'm freaked out about my Q three priorities. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that wasn't what they said, but they're saying all this other stuff. I'm like, "Wait, what's going on right now?" Oh, it's the parents that all have this thing coming up. Oh, well, like what's going on with all the parents? Oh, this thing is happening. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, what can, you know, silly example, but it's like, that's what happens when you actually let it in first and then start to process it instead of deciding before you even, even let it in. Well, it validates the, the emotion that there, that, that is a real feeling right Mm -hmm. or wrong, you know, is, is that reality, but it validates the emotion. And then we're kind of starting the conversation of, you know, where is that coming from? What, what is it that's making Mm -hmm. you feel that way? And, and really getting to that core Mm -hmm. issue. Oh, it's professional development. Oh, well now we're talking about, that's a completely different conversation that, Oh, you don't care about benefits. Mm -hmm. This sucks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it could it could go yeah. sideways really quickly without yeah. that additional you know conversation and really kind of digging in and, and understanding you know what's what's yeah. behind that the question behind the question. Mm-hmm. And the and the reality is, what you earn in the increased trust. They're like, hey, I can give feedback and it will be heard has much longer impact and implications than even whatever the individual thing was that like maybe resolved, maybe we can't. Um, but by doing it that way, the 
trust um, impacts everything, not even just this one interaction that you had. So do uh, do you get exponential growth and impact by taking the time to do the thing? That's really smart because you can really shut somebody down very quickly um, in in the reaction. And like, well, I'm not speaking up about yeah. anything else again because I know where that's going to lead. It's nowhere. So it's, it's, you know, and right now companies are full of shutdown people. Yeah. 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 And then uh, you learn, you know, this is a place where you don't speak up, you don't contribute, you don't have ideas and, uh, and then they, they move on. If you're lucky. <laughs> Worse, they stay <laughs> in that bad that's culture. The, yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. yeah. You just have a whole bunch of checked out people just punching the clock, not caring, doing the thing. Quiet quitting. Well, where can people learn more about you online? Um, I have a, my company, my site is called your second com, And, uh, you know, pretty much anything, <laughs> anything is there. <laughs> and I'll add the link to directly to the, uh, kind of the internal stand up in case that's a tool people want to okay. try for themselves. It'll have kind of the description of how they can, how they can try that out. Cause anyone can do that anytime. Great. We'll make sure and link that in the show notes as well. Well, Thomas Thank really you. enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for being on task fuel. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Thanks again, Thomas, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. You can learn more about Thomas at YourSecondCall.com. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at SASFuel.com. And be sure to check us out on YouTube as well. Subscribe and follow us. Everyone who subscribes this week, you know, I usually have something funny here, some crazy thing that you get. But this week, all I'll say is going to be a little bit different. Every new subscriber this week, we'll add an extra $10 on top of our donation for the Israel Emergency Fund. So help us help Israel. If you're not a subscriber yet, do that this week and we'll total those up at the end of the week and, and we'll just add that on top of what we're doing. So an extra 10 bucks for every new subscriber. So who knows? Maybe you get 10 million subscribers, we're in trouble. So, but uh, subscribe, tell your friends, sign up, do something good and uh, make it count extra for this week. And for every subscriber we already have, we'll just go ahead and do that for all of those and plus all the new ones as well. Well, join us Thursday on our SAS Fuel Expert Series, where my guest is Vlad Hu. He is a consultant and fractional CTO who helps SaaS startups craft their MVPs so that they get traction and grow. And the next Tuesday, we have founder Yaroslav Lazor, CEO and founder of a product studio called Railsware. He's led the development of hundreds of SaaS products and now a few of his own. We'll talk about winners, losers, and building future-proof applications in a fast-moving world. So I will see you next time. Keep Israel in your prayers. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.